All right, guys, what is up? We are live for the 58th installment on Playing to Win, joined today uh, with a gentleman by the name of Justin Waller. What's up, brother? Hey, man, how are you? I am good. I am good. And, um, you know, uh, Justin and I did a, a collab a couple weeks ago on over on his YouTube channel. Um, we, had a, we had a really good conversation about business and life, and we spent a lot of time on entrepreneurship, which was a which is an interesting and different talk. So if you guys haven't seen that, you should head over to his, his channel. It's just under Jay Waller, right? Yep, it is. Jay Waller on YouTube. Yeah. So um, so we kind of flipped the uh, tables today, and um, I'm going to be asking uh, Justin a bunch of questions. We're going to stay focused on um, how he's played to win to uh, you know clean up his life because he started out a little bit of a, a, a chubby guy in his younger years. And you know he's an entrepreneur, business owner. Uh, he's got certain uh, strategies and plans that work with women, self-care, and money. So I'll be asking him a bunch of questions around that. If you guys are uh, just newer to uh, the channel and watching this, do me a solid and hit uh, subscribe and give the video a like just for the algorithms. And if you are watching, uh, come over to YouTube. And this just helps me out a bit with the algorithms. Uh, just watch it over here. I'm going to drop the link in the live chat on all the channels. So join me on over here. Um, Justin, what have you been up to, man? I understand you're over in uh, Dubai right now. Yep, I'm over in Dubai with the Tates. We're doing a war room event. So we've got about 20 guys here learning about all three of those things, the whole money muscles game thing, um, getting frame right with women. We actually, um, the guy running the event is a very dear friend of ours. He's actually taken all of them to the tailors, gone really, really, really deep into style. I've learned a lot from the event actually myself, mm. uh, just kind of one of the benefits of being in this group. So um, the guys are learning a lot. I'm learning a lot making money so it's a good do they time have, um do they have a uh, lot of like asia tailors over there like do they do they actually cut the suits and the shirts there or do they take the measurements send them over to hong kong and then ship them over to you in the mail no actually they have a whole team of guys they're indian and i had i had three suits and one jacket made in four days nice. so my first day i went in we picked the colors and we ended up picking the piping and everything so my signature and everything mm -hmm. got put in this particular suit this one was made the other day um, so day one, we picked the colors, they cut it once, came back, cut it again, final cuts. And, uh, they had, they had four suits out the door or four jackets and three pairs of pants out the door for me in four days. It was that's, incredible. That's sweet, man. It's pretty quick. I use an outfit here. I've talked about this before. It's called Maxwell's and they do kind of like a North American tour. They measure you up at a, they usually rent out like a conference room in a hotel. Uh, you know, they take your measurements, yep. uh, send them over to Hong Kong. They cut it up and they send you the stuff in the mail. So it's, um, it's something I recommend guys do. Like it makes a big, big difference. Actually, since we're on the topic, there was a there's a picture here that um, I got from you earlier today that I wanted to kind of kick this off on because this kind of like exemplifies the difference between poorly fitting clothing on a generally fat body versus you know something that's cut to fit properly. So this is an older picture of you. Like how old are you here? Probably twenty four. 24 and uh you got you know like the belly hanging over the belt it's one of those off the rack shirts versus versus what you got right now like that's a far better look yeah absolutely <laughs> like there's absolutely. actually no question about it like you've got yeah. <laughs> you've got a far better or a far higher value per perceived value anyway you know by the world by women by the guys as well when you wear clothes that fit properly and um you know complement your physique versus something that's just like pulled off the rack and it's, you, you know, you look like a refrigerator basically, right? Square. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even in fact, is before I was buying custom, custom suits, I would, even if I bought a $200 suit, 
from somewhere like a, um, I don't know, like Dillard's, going and get that suit cut tightly fitting to me made all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, I, I, I really believe even a younger guy could could make a huge difference in his wardrobe just by getting something cut very, very closely to him. Mm-hmm. Um, even if he bought it just off the rack and, ha- and had it done the right way. So um, I, get them, I get them cut custom now. It's a big difference. Yeah. And you can get pretty much anything cut, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I got this uh, McLaren um, zip-up kind of like sweater just over the holidays. And it was way too baggy. You know, guys that buy these cars are generally older guys that have, you know, put on some uh, poundage. And I just brought it in, do charge me like 30, 35 bucks to get it uh, taken in a bit, you know, kind of up here in the sleeves. And so everything fits better when you do things that way. It's, it's dude, it's uh, like guys watching don't discount properly fitting clothes. Like make sure that you, that you hold out to the public, something that looks good on your physique and definitely don't walk around fat. Um, can you talk a little bit about like that older, like 25 year old guy that was, that was more on the heavier side? Like what did you have to do to drop all that weight? Cause I mean, it makes your face look a lot tighter. Your cheekbones are more pronounced. You've got more of a jawline. You obviously look more handsome when you lose weight off your face. It's one of the things that happens immediately. Like it's not just your body that changes, but what was required for you to go through all those changes? You know, man, I, I, I did play college football. So there was a time before that I was in really good shape. I had a, a very dramatic shoulder injury that put me in that position. Mm. And I didn't play my last semester. So I had I had some classes, but I knew I wasn't playing. And I just, you know, when when you have all that all that size from playing ball and then you just let it go to absolutely nothing. And I did. Uh, I started. Your audio has just gone to crap on my end. Can you hear me still? I can hear you loud and clear. Yeah. Yeah. It, it froze up and it was chopping up. Let me just get you back up about five seconds. I'm not sure if you guys heard that in the chat. Just let me know if it's if it's breaking up on your end as a watcher. Just um, back up Am and I say that enough? again, like the last five five to ten seconds that I lost. Yeah. So basically what happened is, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't playing football anymore. And so instead of going to practice or going to lift weights, I, I would drink and I was living more of a college lifestyle for the first time. You know, previous to that, the other three years, three and a half years, really, I, I was, you know, working out. I was with the team, I was traveling, I was playing to do that, that energy, that injury. I wasn't playing anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I drank beer and I ate pizza and I was eating in a way that didn't work without lifting. So I got up to 248 pounds, just right there at 250. Mm. And right now, I'll probably walk around when I'm in really, really good shape at about 212, I'm probably about 218 now. Mm. And, um, you know, I let it get away. And I, I also had $100 in the bank or less in that photo. So it was, a, it was a bunch of things, man. I was just graduating. I was coming off an inju- injury. I had, I had let my lifestyle slip into a place where it shouldn't have been. And it, only I could be accountable for that. So for me, I had to fix it. I lost about 36 pounds in six months after that photo. Was so, that all diet or was that diet and exercise? It was both. It was diet and exercise. I had to do both. Mm-hmm. Actually, I would, I, I would go to an anytime fitness and work out. And there was an Albertsons grocery store. It's an American chain of grocery stores mm-hmm. that had a, an alley right there behind it. And I had a couple of cracks in the in the, in the cement that I kind of had a really personal relationship. I would do the whole jog sprint jog thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and I lost the weight and, and it was really hard to do. But, you know, I really feel like when you get your body in a certain shape, it kind of remembers that homeostasis thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so my body knows where, where I fluctuate is, is kind of, you know, in the range that I'm in now. And as long as I don't get too far away from that line with discipline, it stays there. And I believe that's kind of what discipline is. I don't think it's as straight as people think it is. I think it's more of a line. And then if you kind of get away from that line and you correct yourself without going too far, you kind of get back to it. And, you know, you know how it is. You go through those, yeah. those little phases, those little micro phases. And uh, I just refuse to let myself to go past any certain point. And I've done that now for, I guess, 12 years. You know, I'm 36 now. Just turned 36 in December. So try to stay pretty close to it. Talk to me about the win from $100 in your pocket and the fat guy picture to where you guys, to where you are today. I mean, you're an entrepreneur. I think you're in the construction industry, if I recall. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk so, a little bit about that pivot? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I, I bought the dream, Richard. I, I was told that if I made decent grades and I went to play college football, um, that I would get a college degree. And I, I grew up in a pretty poor family. So that I quit playing baseball and basketball and I went and played college football. And so I chose construction management. I was told it was 100 percent job placement and that I would be sitting in Dallas with a truck allowance and an office making seventy five to one hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, probably starting off at like 60 and making my way to 100, having health care for one K. And I didn't know any better. And um, I graduated college in 2009. So that didn't happen. Luckily for me. I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think I don't think that that's something super original, but mm-hmm. I did read it my junior year in college. And so I kind of had it in the back of my head. And because I was forced into not really being able to get that job, um, which I'm actually really grateful for, because I think that would have been a scary thing to fall into. Um, I went and I dug ditches for a company called Austin Bridge and Road in a small, small town in North Louisiana. That job ended. I came home. I um, I waited tables at a churrascaria called Texas Day Brazil in Baton Rouge. And it was really honestly the, probably the shittiest time of my life. I was really struggling with uh, missing my high, uh, my college girlfriend. I broke up with Miss Louisiana at the time because I had monogamy issues and I didn't want to lie about it or I didn't know how to confront it. I didn't know how to be the person I am today. So I, I had that going on. I missed the girl. I had a shit job. <laughs> like the whole thing, the whole thing was completely fucked. It was probably the hardest time of my life. Mm-hmm. And so how old were you um, at that point? Was that still around 25 or was that a little bit older? Yeah. Yeah. It was right there at that point. Okay. I, I'd, I'd left the girl because my head was spinning and I, I wanted to explore my options, but I, I didn't know how to express that to her in a, in a way that would um, keep the frame. If that makes sense. I just mm-hmm. didn't know what I didn't know. And I broke up with her, couldn't recover. She actually uh, met a Brazil, a six foot four Brazilian guy. Uh, I will say that she did come back years later and uh, she kind of lied to me about things that were going on there, but uh, I'll digress. But um, so I ended up getting the upper hand in the end, but I was kind of already this guy when that happened, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. You know how they are. Mm-hmm. And so um, they always come back in the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So. It was it was one of those situations where my, my fitness wasn't there. My money wasn't there. I didn't know what to do. Everything I've been told about what I should do was absolutely fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I say all the time that at college, in my opinion, unless what were the, what were the biggest lies that you had to unplug from that were wrong? You know, because 
there's a lot of stuff that we as guys are fed, like a lot of beliefs that kind of plug you into the matrix, um, you know, that don't really serve you. So what were the biggest lies that, you know, that you had to unplug from? Man, that you could live in a neighborhood the size of your boss's neighborhood by working for his company, mm. you know, um, female nature, how love works, what love is, how women work. That That's probably one of the biggest unplugs that I had to go through in my adult life. And that didn't happen until I was into my 30s. I want to get to the women in a bit later, but I want to kind of talk more a bit about money and business right now. So, yeah. Yeah, speak a little bit more about like the unplugging when it came to money and wealth creation and, you know, setting your life up. Absolutely. Um, I had a lot of advice when I first started my metal building company. Stay small. What do you mean by metal building? Is that those like, um, like the frameless, like, like the big aluminum buildings where you can drive trucks through or boats? Yeah, um, Yeah, think Costco. Yeah, we do a lot of Costco's airplane hangers. So when you're sitting on the tarmac, okay. and you look out and you see the airplanes flying, kind of, kind of going into the big buildings, the storage buildings. Mm-hmm. We build those. Uh, okay. Walmart's um, big rooms to go, big steel structures. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was t- I was told to you know grow slow, stay small, uh, don't let it get too big. You go out of business. But I actually found that in the end, it's like if I wasn't constantly growing, I was dying. Mm-hmm. You know, so I really had to be in a position where I would grow revenue because what would happen is I would be scared that we couldn't do the work that I won. But if there was no work because it would rain or, or jobs would get delayed or whatever, I'd end up losing my men or worse. I would pay my men to stay to sit at home waiting on a job. And so one of the things that really um, helped me was getting over worrying about growing too big. And really kind of going after it and really creating business systems. I did um I did a lot of coaching with Emith, that Robert E. Gerber mm-hmm. book, Emith. I did a year and a half coaching with them at about 27 when we started to get to about around two million mm-hmm. in revenue. And it really helped me out. I built a lot of systems, put a lot of things in place, and and really kind of went against everything that people were telling me. And my dad actually. Not that he was a business person, but he would constantly be telling me, you know, son, aren't you worried about growing the company too big? Don't shouldn't you shouldn't you be worried? Don't you think that that you're going to grow too big? When is enough isn't enough enough? And that was probably somewhere around a million, a million two. Mm-hmm. And and the problem with that was was always was always simply like, yeah, but if I it, it, if I think I have this job and it gets pushed back three months, well, I have to pay payroll to those guys, so all the profit I would have made on that job, I'll lose. Mm-hmm. And, constantly be creating ways for revenue and just adding men, adding men, adding men. So I'd have this core capacity of men and I would have to find ways around it, like subcontract jobs out. So which led me to have to create kind of scripts for negotiating and sales and, and finding new manpower, new systems to find more guys. We, we constantly are bidding jobs, but we're constantly recruiting every day because I always tell my people, it's kind of like if sales are on this side, find a manpower on this side and that project meets in the middle. And, and if I don't, if, if I let either one of those legs get bigger than the other, then I, then I will find myself in trouble. Do you have any issues right now? Um, Like you still run the business, the metal building business. Yes. Yeah. Do you have any problems right now with staffing issues? Cause one of the things that I've seen here, I've got a few friends uh, that run some businesses in construction and uh, they have a real hard time 
attracting and retaining competent workers. Um, you know, workers are either not interested or they're lazy or they call in sick or they got like issues. They got addictive personalities and they're addicted to drugs or stuff like that. Do you have any issues with your businesses? And if you do, like, how do you solve those? Yeah. So it's the biggest problem that all of us have. I think a lot of our success uh, comes from our ability to navigate through it. I have, I have scripts for everybody that calls in. I have a very specific way that I I'll probably never say out loud that we find these men and talk to these men and, and kind of caress a relationship between us and those men during the pre-interview process, interview process, and even when they're actually on working for us, it's one of we treat our guys. And I believe this. If a guy is working for me, he's buying me. So what do you mean by that? Well, so, for example, like, you know, a lot of times in construction, you'll go to a client and you'll tell them all the reasons why and you'll treat them well and you'll do all these certain things. It's not so much that we baby or pamper them in, but we kind of understand their position and we try to do things to keep them buying into the company and coming back. Uh, simple things, you know, birthday parties, maybe. And, and even there's times where, you know, I'll turn up and start putting money in their pocket because what they do is very dangerous. Uh, I'll take them to get beer. I'll, I'll, you know, I treat them, you know, a certain way. And I've got guys that would absolutely kill for me. And then I have guys that are kind of distant, maybe mercenaries in a way. Mm-hmm. But that 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 problem right there is, is the number one problem in construction. And it's not just it's not just in my trade. It's in every trade. And it's nationally. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that when I go to my board meetings for the Metal Building Contractors Director Association, it is the number one thing that is brought up. Because when you look at it, the American kid doesn't want to do it. Um, I, I feel like because of social media, if if a guy says he's working with his hands, uh, it's not appealing to women. The Internet's basically told him he failed because he's not drop shipping from beach selling Amazon. <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. It's not <laughs> I'm, I'm agreeing do. with you, my man. It, it's, it's not a very sexy thing to do. Like it's a hard pitch. It's a yeah. hard, hard pitch. Yeah, I've said and before, so, man, like if you've got a woman that's looking at a guy that's a junior lawyer, you know, at a law firm making 60, 70 grand a year yeah. versus a guy that might be like running a plumbing company, you know, and he's got plumbers that work for him and he's making a quarter million a year, like he's paying himself well. She's probably going to pick the lawyer just because he looks like better arm candy, right? Yeah, it's true. Look, I, when I when I first got started, I've never I've never really had issues with women, like in, in a major way, I, especially when I was kind of already started the company, I was on my way up. I lost the weight. Mm-hmm. I looked like a good prospect. Um, but I'll say there's nothing sexy about saying I'm a steel erector or I, I hang steel. And just like you're saying with the plumber, there's nothing, there's nothing really sexy about it. And it's about the way we make our money too. You know, you're working with your hands, you have calluses, you're on job site, you're wearing boots. Um, I would constantly have a set of boots to to go on job sites and a hard hat and then close to go, and close to go to the bank to beg for money so I can cover my payrolls. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the most sexy thing in the world. But if you get it right, you can make you can make really good money, really good. So mm-hmm. I always say that construction was the only way that we knew how to make doctor money in boots. That you know, and that's that's literally true. I uh, I was literally a redheaded stepchild to a guy that did metal buildings, he would do 30 by forties in backyards. And that's how I was kind of conscious of the situation. What happened to your old man? My stepdad was with my mother. So I grew up 
in a house with him. Um, I wasn't his, so we weren't particularly close, but I was the oldest. And um, I would go on job sites with him and pack panels. And so they'd be on the roof drinking Bud Heavy, no shirts, mm -hmm. you know, in somebody's backyard. And I was, I don't know, 13, kind of trying to pack sheets and push them against the building so they could pull them up on the roof, stuff like that. Um, but he, he wasn't, I don't know if you're familiar with the term redneck or South Louisiana at all, but he wasn't a business guy. So there was never going to be really a business between he and I. He's come. He's worked for the company a couple of times. I fired him every time. Just thing. Oh, you're frozen up again. Let's give it a second to see if it buffers and cleans itself up. But we got a little bit of a freezing issue here with the internet connection. Here, I'm just going to pull Justin out and bring him back in to see if that fixes it. Can you hear me all right? Yep. I can okay. hear you. That seems to fix it. Like every every 20 minutes or so, it seems to freeze up for some reason. But anyway, um, no, I lost you there for a bit. But I mean, like what I was driving at is what happened to your biological father? My biological father, was actually, he was in, he was about four hours away. Um, it would, it would get into the, the subject of women. Mm -hmm. It's a very deep, a deep topic. Actually, red pill information has really helped me unpack my life and what actually happened in front of me that I didn't understand previously. But he was about four hours away. He was uh, he grew up uh, farming cotton. My grandfather was a tail gunner in World War II, and he came back home and B took 17. on carpentry. What's that? B seventeen, B twenty four, twenty four, twenty four. Yeah. Okay, liberator. Yeah, yeah. And he was going to, I believe, he was going to go to the upgrade. So he was actually on a train going to Texas to get trained up on the new plane to go on his second tour and mm -hmm. he got to the bus stop and everybody was hooping and hollering and he found out it was over. So he didn't have to go on a second tour. And he came home to Oxford, Mississippi and he built some houses, uh, bought some land, started farming cotton. So my father grew up farming cotton in Oxford, Mississippi. And um, so it was very small, you know, small minded, simple. You know, one of those guys that would say it takes money to make money. Things are expensive, deep, deep Southern draw, wonderful, wonderful man, but uh, not really educated to the level um, that that would have been able to make, you know, either some kind of big business or, or think really big outside the box or anything of that nature. So, but he, he was about four hours away. Who was, we your, every other weekend. Who was your biggest like inspiration, you know, uh, when it, when it came to your unplugging, like my dad wasn't particularly useful when it, you know, when it came to showing me the truth about the world, right? Like he was a good man and, you know, like a, a family guy and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, my parents were still together, but he wasn't particularly useful in helping me unplug and see the reality of the world. So, you know, that came from other sources, other mentors, books that I read, stuff like that. What about you? Like, where did you actually get the useful information that you apply to life right now? You know, my situation wasn't so much, uh, I feel like a lot of people see something and they follow it and mirror it. My situation, I think, was more about what I didn't want to become. I, I was I was in a house that had a lot of screaming, a lot of physical things going on. And um, I just knew that I didn't want a part of it. And I think that's why I clung to sports so much is because I would I was able to be good enough at sports where the other parents would have me over and stay the night. I use sports to kind of get the fuck out of my house mm. and I use college football to get out of my town. It was kind of, I don't know if you ever seen that movie, October skies. No. 
where the kid, yeah, so he grows up in a coal mining town and he just wants to do anything but go in that fucking coal mine. In the South Louisiana, we have the plants because the Mississippi River's there. So there's a lot of industrial work and everybody goes and works in the plants. And I just knew that I didn't want to do that. And I didn't particularly want to do metal buildings for that matter. Um, so I went and I played ball and I thought that I would end up getting to somewhere like Dallas or something of that nature. And obviously that turned. Um, but it was really for me, I wasn't mirroring a person, but I knew who I didn't want to be, especially especially in my early to mid 20s. Now, somewhere around 26, 27, I, I started to really, really, really dig into YouTube, really, and started to follow guys like you. Um, I would follow a lot of business people. So I would follow, you know, Grant Cardone's and people like that. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of that grow the business bigger mm -hmm. type type stuff. Um, and I really spent a lot of time alone. I spent a lot of time with you when it came to women, especially when I was going through breakups and shit like that. It would validate how I was feeling. I'd go searching for, for things like that to validate what I was feeling because everybody around me, especially in the South, was telling me I was wrong. And I knew I was right, but I had nobody around me to tell me I was right. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew I needed to grow my business bigger. I knew that I didn't want to go work in the plant. So I'd have to go online and validate it. So I spent a lot of time on YouTube with people that could validate the feeling that was inside of me and, and helping me kind of deal with what I knew I didn't want to be. How did you separate the bullshit that's on YouTube from the useful stuff? Like, how did you identify what's real versus what's fake? Because there's a lot of controversy on that. And I find it interesting that you spent so much time consuming my content. You got at that. Um, you know, got that much value out of it. So I'm just curious about how you, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. You know, sometimes you don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of bullshit that goes on on the internet. I wanted to go on YouTube for a very, very long time, but I couldn't let myself. You particularly, I feel like there, there is a genuineness about you. Um, the bullshit, you're, you're super dry, no offense, but <laughs> you're Canadian. I was to the point, my man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, and that's how it should be. People people tell me all the time they appreciate my videos because they're so short. Mm -hmm. I like no bullshit. And I think most men that really want to get shit done are no bullshit. So you particularly I picked up on. Even now, we, we me and you talk a good bit now after the first show, but mm -hmm. you're still very boom, boom, boom. You know, I don't have a problem with that. I like people like that because I know they don't have time to bullshit me. Most of the time, it's kind of like a church person. If they if they talk to you 30 minutes about why they're so Christian, do you really trust them? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, fuck, man. You know, um, and and I, I think that a lot of times when people talk about, oh, I had a gut feeling, I don't think that's your gut at all. I think that's your subconscious picking up little micro expressions and things that are going on to check congruency with what somebody's saying. Mm -hmm. And, and then all of a sudden you think you have a gut feeling. No, your brain just caught it. And so for me, I feel like I have a really good bullshit detector when it comes to that. And I try to keep on with myself. And there's plenty of things that I can't answer. There's plenty of questions that I haven't solved yet for myself. I'm very open about that. I still watch fucking YouTube videos, dude. I'll oh, hang on a second. I'm going to pull you out and bring you back in because you're frozen again. Let's try it again. No, 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 no. Come on, YouTube, work with me. Oh, for crying out loud. There we go. She's back. Got it? Yeah, it, it, it just cut out again. So just back up about five, six seconds and say that again. Yeah, so what I, what I was saying is like, you know, 
there's that authenticity there that we that we pick up on that we call our gut our gut feeling. And I feel like I have a really good like internal, you know, meter for that. And so even now I watch your videos. Now I watch Kiyosaki. I watch Gammon all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly learning things. There's plenty of things that I don't know. There's plenty of development that I'm still trying to have at 36. When is enough enough? Never. It's never enough. And so for me, I know that I can give a lot of guys advice, young guys, but I, I can't do it without the humility to say that I'm still growing myself. And, you know. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a moving target. I mean, as a guy, you have to you have to have some some humility. I don't like the word being, you know, being humble, because I think that just pussifies too many guys. But I think that you have to have, you know, I always say like the first step in unplugging is becoming aware of your own bullshit. And then a the second step is becoming aware of the bullshit that's around you. Um, and a lot of people don't even get to the first point, right? I mean, they just, they just lie to themselves, you know, like it's, it's impossible or it's some other lie that doesn't serve them completely. Do you still, um, do you spend quite a lot of time in the, in the metal building business today, or do you have people that run it for you? Like, what's your position right now? Cause I noticed that you travel around a lot. You've got yeah. time to upload videos on YouTube now. Yeah. I, you know, I've built some very, very strong systems of a very strong staff. I talk to them directly every day. I get daily reports. Uh, when I do come home, I spend most of my time with my own team. And I take them to dinners. I take them to lunches. We do things together. There's trust there. There's very little bullshit. I'll call people out immediately. We have no politics in our management team. We run EOS, which is a mixture of E-Myth and the, a, a series of books by Patrick Lencioni which is the ideal team player death by meeting. So we run these L10 meetings every week. We run a very, you know, tight offense, if you will, but we're very, very, very close. And um, it's, it's mostly just the fact that there, there's no bullshit in between us and the culture's built. And, you know, it's a lot like, I think we might've talked, spoke about this before, but there's an old video out from the seventies where two people are one person's dancing in the field by themselves. And at about two minutes, the second person comes to dance. And then after maybe another minute, there's like 30 or 40 people dancing. Oh, is that the clip uh, that I showed at the Sasquatch music music festival? Yeah. He's on I a hill. So. He's on a hill. Yeah. 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 That's a, that, that's an amazing example of, of like, you know, like doing the right thing so that you attract the people into your orbit sort of thing. Yeah. Right. And so it's one of those machines now where we're in a group text every day and nobody wants to fuck with that anymore. Mm -hmm. If we hire a person, they don't, they, they'll quit. A lot of times before we would have to cut them or we'll all collectively cut them. I'm, I'm very big on letting the team make decisions and empowering them in a certain way. I have my, you know, I have my, the last say, but they don't ever feel unheard with me. In fact, just yesterday we had a project it was a big Chevrolet uh, project. Um, it was a big building that had multiple parts of the, the uh, scope of work. And all of the profit was in these, these two larger buildings. We're going to put a roof on them and re-roof them and do some things. And then there was kind of some bullshit work on the side. And the contractor who won the job came to us and said, listen, we had something happen with the owner. Um, we had to give the bigger portion to this other company, but we still want you to do the small part. Well, unfortunately we had bid that job, I don't know, five or six times to try to get it. And we had all this pre-construction cost 
And so I pulled the group together. We all got on a phone call and I said, look, this is how I feel about it. You know, if if we're not going to make money, we've already kind of lost money. You know, what do you guys think? And they all agree with me. And I said, well, if that's what you guys feel, then tell them to kick rocks, man. And I think that empowering the group and making them feel like they're heard at, at a minimum. But every time, every chance I get to let them make a decision and pull the trigger, I do it. I do it. All those systems that you mentioned that you put in place, um, I think I heard you mention E-Myth and there was another one. Did you did you work with a coach, you know, for any length of time or did you join did. like a business forum or anything like that? I, you know, I did it all. I, I, uh, I did E-Myth for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I noticed is I got to a point where I was almost autistic about systems. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I over systematize the business and I forgot I about problematic. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I forgot about the human element mm-hmm. and it hurt me in my early thirties, like 30, 31, 32. And so I backed off of it and I looked at all of my systems and, and I kind of figured out which ones worked, but I did Vistage. Uh, didn't really like that. It was just a bunch of dudes sitting around crying about their, you know, their wives and shit. Super fucking gay. <laughs> it was, bro. It was super gay. It was uh, Dude, that's what, um, that's, that's one of the reasons why I stopped dealing with EO. And I, I like the organization and the speakers and a lot of the learning events, but it, you know, it was the same thing. I, I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs I found anyway, when you start to network and collab with them, they've got some good ideas and they've got good tools and good systems. And there's a lot of use that comes out of having them in your network, I think. But for the most part, it's like, you know, you'll sit around and there's a dude doing an update and he's like, yeah, my wife's not having sex with me or I was lucky to get yeah. sex last, you know, last week. And I'm trying the whole happy wife, happy life. And I read the love languages book and I think her love language yeah. is this. And it's like, you're just like, after a while, you're like, you guys are like, I can't help you, man. Like, you know? Yeah, it's true. And you know, you know what I think creates that is like being an entrepreneur is a very lonely place. Mm -hmm. Especially when you start, especially when the business starts growing, because now all of a sudden you have problems that other people can't relate to. Yeah. You know, oh, wow. You have a hundred thousand dollar payroll this week. I can't pay my light bill. Nobody wants to hear that shit from you. Yeah. You know? Or, you know, oh, you drive a BMW and your wife doesn't suck your dick. Well, I drive a Honda and my wife doesn't suck my dick or, or just whatever it is. It's just it, it's it's super it, it's it it's hard for those guys. But though those groups like Vistage and things and no disrespect to the organization, they were not for me. Mm-hmm. They were never going to be for me. Uh, I did that. I still do EOS. We still have an EOS coach. I keep the EOS coach there. It costs me about 30 grand a year. Mm-hmm. But I keep them him there because EOS is a two CEO system where there's a visionary and there's an integrator. And so I stay in that visionary role and I have an integrator underneath me. And so what I do is when I come in with all these ideas or certain things I want to look at doing, this person actually does those things and, and kind of pushes the team on a day to day basis and then reports to me. So I'll get. So you're running like a co-CEO format where you have like somebody that's basically your partner, right? It is. It is. A, it's a co-CEO format and and they're pushing through. We'll have we'll have weekly meetings, but we have quarterly goals that we set. And so he is letting me know every day where all the individual measurables are that tie into the weekly meeting, where all the rocks are, the things that we said that we'd get done in the first quarter, mm-hmm. where the revenue goals are. You know, so we're we set a goal to do 12 million this year. So he's broken it down by quarter. Because most of our work happens in the second and third quarter. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's like 
15%, 15% on the first and the fourth quarter. And then 70% happens in the, in the spring and the summer for us because of, you know, the rain, the holidays, et cetera. And so we kind of back those numbers out to make revenue projections by quarters. And so he breaks it down by the week and I get a report every day on how we're doing on that, how we're doing on, you know, a certain amount of sales calls, profit on projects, composite hourly rate for crews. Cause we run men and trucks. So we have a lot of direct employees mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's something that's constantly moving and changing as the business grows, the reports change all the time, but it's a, it's a pulse, you know, and we're on top of it. So, um, yeah, we've, I've done a lot of those groups that they, they, um, they have another way that they, um, frame that. I can't remember who the speaker was. I want to say it was Kevin O'Leary at a EO event I was at. And, um, uh, the guy said something along the lines of, if you're going to run a partnership, the only time you're going to find that it's going to be successful is if you have the inside guy and the outside guy, which is kind of the way that you structure it. I mean, they're calling it like the visionary and the guy that executes, but um, the best way to illustrate that would be the dynamic between what happened with Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Jobs was the guy that would get on the stage, got, you know, he was a marketing guy, you know, he was out front and center, boisterous ideas, like the visionary sort of thing. Like if the, like if the garbage bins, like this is a true story, like the garbage bins weren't black enough for him, he would, he would walk around the office and, and shit on the people that ordered the garbage bins to make sure that they were the right shade of black, you know, for him, you know, sort of thing. And then Wozniak was the guy on the inside that, you know, basically executed with the, uh, you know, the hardware and made everything happen that jobs, you know, had like the vision to make sort of work. So those sorts of dynamics work. I mean, a lot of times guys ask me about partnerships and I tell them straight up, look, if you're going to do it, make sure that your skills complement each other. Like you possess skills that they don't have and they possess skills that you don't have. And you have clearly defined roles where somebody is on the outside, you know, like of the business, you know, he's a visionary. He's the guy that, you know, basically flies up to 30,000 feet of altitude and looks down at the landscape and can, you know, plan and plot sort of things. And then the inside guy is like more of like the hands-on, you know, he's the guy behind the curtain sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my business isn't a partnership, but um, it is definitely a, a, C, a co-CEO role. And I agree with you completely. And I also agree with that for hiring. Mm-hmm. One thing that I'm constantly doing, I just made a video about it. I don't know if we released it or yet, uh, yet or not, but I'm constantly looking to fire myself. And generally, I'm firing myself from things that I'm either not good at or I don't have an energy for. Right. There's some things that I'm very good at that I absolutely freaking hate doing. So I fire myself for those things. And I, I, I do think I had a really good ability to step outside myself and, and say, OK, what does Justin need to be fired from? And I've constantly tried to do that because every time I fire myself, we grow. Because then I'm off to the next thing, stirring up trouble somewhere, <laughs> figuring out how we can, you know, make money again. And for those guys that partner, partnership is a hard thing, especially if if your partner and I hate to talk about women again. But if if you have a partner and he doesn't have his situation right at home, it can it can destroy a business. Absolutely. Or, or, or if you guys don't have the same goals and the same vision, like really locked in hard, it can destroy the business. You know, and understanding that you guys are really just sitting on a board above above the org chart and you have your places in the org board that that you're going to carry out in EOS. We call it five roles and responsibilities for each position. And sometimes your name is next to two of those positions, really understanding, hey, I'm really this person and this person until we grow big enough or we can hire this position out. Which one do I need to get fired from first? Yeah. Um, Partnership is tough. Yeah, one of the things that's a really good exercise to go through, um, 
you can basically draw four quadrants, vertical axis, horizontal, and you're going to start to identify what tasks and um, skills you have that you love to execute on and that you've got a lot of skill in. And you can put all the tasks in the one corner. Then you've got you love to execute on, but you don't have the skill in on the other side. And then down over here, you've got um, you don't have the skill and you don't love to execute on. But what I'm basically getting at is when you start getting to the quadrants where you don't have the skills and you hate, you know, what it is that you're doing, those are the things that you either stop doing, you outsource or you hire somebody else to do it. Or, you you know, you just, you know, like one of the things that you actually start to find after a while is like you're doing a lot of shit that you don't need to be done, like get done. It's a kind of an inside thing that engineers often joke about. I think I, there's a clip somewhere that I saw with Elon Musk where he was talking about how engineers love to um, complete and put together systems and tasks for things that don't really need to be done. And they spend a lot of time managing those uh, people to make sure that they're staying focused on productive tasks that are useful. Um, we got, here we got a super chat over here. Uh, UE Outdoors says, any advice for a 22-year-old? I'm an owner-operator truck driver, so I make 100 grand a year. Fitness is on point, and I'm in Andrew Tate's Hustlers University looking to get into crypto. Any advice you two gentlemen can give me? What do you got for this guy? Keep going. Watch out for automation of trucks. You know, it's coming. I don't think it's going to come fast enough to affect you. So I'd, I'd, get, I'd keep getting trucks, man. If you're making that kind of money, uh, scale. Try to get that truck running 24 hours a day so the drivers switch out and uh, get big enough to make some really good money. Because um, if you're driving that truck, you don't own the business yet. You're you're sitting, you're in the business. I'll give you I'll give you two pieces of advice. One, don't exchange time for money. Never let yourself get into a position where you have a block like an hour and you can earn a certain amount of money for that block of time. Um, there's only 24 hours in a day. You have to sleep, uh, whatever, six, seven, eight of them. You got to eat. There's other things you got to do. So you only have a certain number of hours in a day. So you're always going to cap your earning potential. If you're exchanging time for money, you want to set yourself up in an environment where you're earning money or, or, or compounding earning opportunities at even events when you're sleeping, you know, for example. So that's, um, so that's something to consider. The other thing too, as well is if you're not on my email list, get on the damn email list and me grab the ticker. I'll put it down at the bottom. Um, there's, there's about eight or nine video. Like I don't send out a lot of emails, but there's a video. I think it's maybe the fifth um, email that goes out and it's linked to a, a private video that I released to my community only. And it's things that you don't want to do in business. And as Justin was, you know, exemplifying earlier, there's certain things that you need to get clear on that you do not do. I mean, you can get clear on what you should be doing, but it's often I find far easier to get clear on what not to do. It's one of the reasons why in my book, you know, I talked about the red flags, because if you want to simplify your life and not invite crazy into it, then getting clear on what looks like toxic is certainly going to simplify it a lot more, if that makes sense. Uh, there's another one here for you, Justin. Uh, he's asking, what books would you recommend to read to get the upper hand in trade management? Trade management. There's not many books out there on trade management. Um, so really, it's going to come down to you creating your own systems. Uh, you you could read Good to Great by Jim Collins. I like that book a lot. I would e read E-Myth and I would read E-Myth for contractors. There is a contractor's version for that book. So those are the two that come to mind. But I feel like I've read damn near almost all of these books. And I would take one or two little things from each of them. 
So I wouldn't stop. It's possible to like overindulge in, you know, like all of these books and not really do anything. Because one of the, one of the mistakes mistakes that I've made before, it's like, I'll just read, 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 you know, consume, listen to podcasts. It's like, at some point you run out of opportunities to actually execute on the new lessons that you learn and you can just overindulge in like basically masturbation, right? Like you're not doing anything, masturbation, consuming, 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 right? Have you ever done that? I have done that. I have done that. And I've also, I've done it just like that wrong. And then I've done it right. Um, obviously wrong is when I just kept reading, reading, reading and didn't do anything about it. It'd be like going to a seminar and making a, a list of things to do and then not doing it and going to another one. Um, but when I've done it right, what, what happened was I grew the business to a certain point and I ran into a certain issue that I didn't know how to solve. So I went looking on how to find that issue. And this is the most healthy way to do it, in my opinion, is once you grow yourself into the next problem, because you want problems, because if you don't have bigger problems, you're, you're not growing. Mm-hmm. And so I'd run into this problem and then I'd go find the solution via a book, via coaching, via a seminar, whatever that may be. So I think there's a healthy way to do it. And I think there's an unhealthy way to do it. And I'm definitely uh, a person that I've done both. Do you uh, think it's um, like when it comes to money, one of the one of the pieces of advice that I hear far too often that really annoys me, and I want to get your feedback on us and see what your strategy is, but um, people that tell you to save, 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 save. And that's not how you create wealth. I mean, there's no ultra wealthy or high net worth individuals that I know of that I've worked with anyway that achieve the level of success and wealth that they've created for themselves by penny pinching, cutting coupons, you know, stuff like that. Um What's yep. your success or what's your strategy been to creating wealth for yourself? Yeah. Saving money is bullshit. You'll never save yourself rich. You know, income is everything. And that's, and that's kind of in line with what I was saying earlier about, you know, people would tell me it isn't enough enough. Don't you want to slow down? It, you can't save it. You, you know, income is everything. So the top line of that PL is a thing we're always trying to grow. Obviously we want to keep our margins. Uh, but you know, I hired two people today, you know, I just, I just got off a phone call on the way over here. We, uh, we left the event to come hop on with you here. And I got a phone call and, and she's like, well, the lady wants five grand more. And I, and I said, I said to my girl, I said, look, do you think she'll be able to sell three or 4 million, you know, this year? And she said, yeah. So why the fuck are we talking about five grand? And, and I don't think people really think that way. I'm constantly thinking, I don't think about the $60,000, $70,000 it's going to cost me to hire another office staff. I think about how much revenue they're going to bring in and, and how much profit's going to be on the other side of that if we get it right. And if not, we'll get them out the door and get somebody else that does. In fact, I had a deeper conversation with that same person about this. She goes, well, Justin, you know, what, what if they're not right? Okay, cool. What if we get it wrong three times? And she said, oh, well, you know, that'd probably be close to two hundred grand. Okay, cool. But what if we hit that goal of selling that three or four more million? She goes, well, it really doesn't matter. I said, that's right. Find her, hire her, you know, and, and that's the way I look at it. And so, no, saving money, because the truth is you're going to pay huge taxes. You know, you, you sit on the money. So I'm always trying to rotate it and keep it moving. You know, stale money disappears. It sits in that bank account and you find a way to spend it the wrong way. So I'm always trying to grow it. And money's just a tool. Mm-hmm. Money's nothing more than a tool. Yeah. Yeah. Save money to grow yourself, basically, if that's what you're going to do. Um, yep. So let's talk about um, personal life, women. Um, 
you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, but I mean, you, you're with the Miss Louisiana in your 20s and uh, you broke up with yeah. her. You had an issue with monogamy. What's your strategy with women today and what lies have you had to unplug from to execute on these strategies? The Disney, the Disney, the fairy tale, be a good guy. You know, I grew up in the South, you know, don't be a piece of shit, you know, um, step up, you know, you know, all those, all those songs and dances, the things that do the the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, the world really tries to guilt men into going against their biology, in my opinion. And I didn't have an answer for that for a very, very, very long time. And I got to a place where I finally got fed up with it. I would say that Andrew and Tristan have had a big impact on me really being able to find a place where I could vent that and not have to be wrong. Um, Sterling and I are very, very close. Obviously we live together and we both feel the same way about it. So I was able to create a structure where I didn't have to be wrong anymore. And what was the, um, what was the aha moment that you got from Tristan and Andrew? They won't leave. If you're the fucking man, they ain't leaving, you know? And that's, that's the big fear, right? That's the key Tristan that was being the man though. Cause I mean, a lot of guys, you know, like I see this, uh, soundbite going around a lot on the internet, especially in the Mano Swamp, you know, you hear guys saying shit like, um, oh, you're the prize, you know, like men are the prize, but then you look at them, you know, you click on their avatar and you're like, dude, you're, you're the furthest thing from that. Right. So yeah, you're not shit. Yeah, you ain't shit, man. It's like, you shit. know, she will leave. If you ain't and I'd shit. I'd add to that too. You know, they, they talk all this shit. Like they want women to change. I, let me say for the record, I absolutely hope women do not change because you can take a woman that's acting a certain way with man a and give her to me. And I will get the absolute best version of that woman that exists. And so they're, they're talking all this shit about women but they're not actually doing the work to actually line up with what women are actually looking for. So they blame it on women and say women are trash and all this other stuff. I don't have women problems. Women are absolutely fucking wonderful to me. I don't have it. My frame's right. They either get in the, get on the program or they get the fuck out. They go, they know that. So they stay. So a lot of these, a lot of these guys on the internet, I really think they have a misrepresentation of, how women work and they want to blame it on women instead of doing, doing what it takes to get a woman to cater and be, and want to be the kind of woman for you that, that they actually, you know, want to have in their life. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't say like, you're the prize and not be it. I mean, you can't like, I can't go outside and, you know, find a, a 20 year old rusted piece of shit car and say, you're a Lamborghini. <laughs> it doesn't right. work that way. You can't. You actually have to be the Lamborghini. And any woman that like, you know, you're talking about like, you know, women should respect man. And should they? Should they respect every man? Because if she respects every man and if she respects him, she loves him. Right. Or if she respects him, she's probably going to sleep with him. So if you just have a woman that respects every man just for him being a man and not for having to do any kind of work, really, she's just a whore. Isn't she? Mm-hmm. You know, I want a woman that that basically thinks all other men are shit. And she thinks I'm the fucking man wants to do everything for me. Because I've done that work and it was very painful and I should have went bankrupt a bunch of times. I was fat. It was painful. I had to push through. I just had my fourth shoulder surgery, you know, so I'm fighting through it. You very obviously you have quite a history of overcoming things Mm -hmm. to get where you are, to have be in the position to do what you do, drive the cars, have the business. Uh, I don't know how God gave you that fucking beard, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) I'll complain about that later. But man, you have to do it. 
It's you always guys with great hair that want my beard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I cheated, bro. I cheated, bro. I had two transplants. I meant to tell you that last time. Guys ask me that shit all the time. Did and you? and I, I don't I don't respond to it, but I'm not I'm not uh I'm not shy about it. Um oh, okay. I did about 28. I got I think about 28. I was like, oh, I see this coming. So yeah. I, well, I jumped it, on. Well, it works for some guys. You know, my understanding is if you catch it early and you uh and you have like thick enough hair, then it uh, then it does work out for you. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a donor area. I had a good donor area. You know good. that. Yeah, but yeah. but yeah, um, you know, I j- truly, truly believe that you can take a woman that acts a certain way. Now, if they're too far gone, they're too far gone. Like I'm not mm-hmm. talking about women that are super, super feminist. Like there is a such thing as a blueprint, but within a range, you can take a woman that could be moldable and get what you desire out of that woman. If you are in fact the right man. Let me ask you this question. So on a, on a percentage basis, you know, you're dealing with whatever, like 10, a hundred, whatever the number happens to be, but on a percentage basis, what percentage of women in North America? Cause I mean, like you live in Miami, you know, right now, but let's just say with most of the women that you're dealing with, do you think are moldable, you know, to the point where they will enter your frame and comply? Yeah, ones they that, are ones that you're attracted to. Yeah, absolutely. What I will say about Miami, I think Miami, LA, New York, big metropolitans are outliers. Mm-hmm. I I joke with Sterling all the time that I feel like they they are like an all star team of of kind of like not the ideal girl. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you go into America in general, and that's kind of like when when the young guys are watching Fresh and Fit, you have to you have to realize that these are Miami hoes truly they're an all-star team of girls from all over the country that are that are pretty much done for but if you go to louisiana texas you know maybe upper florida all the other states and even california just get out of that one big metropolitan city there's good women out there and i and i always hate to hear guys talking shit about women and it's not because i'm a simp or anything like that i just know for a fucking fact that women will act right if you if you are that person, you can get them in line, let them know where the boundaries are and what you will or will not do. And in fact, I find that it, it turns women on quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Because you speak with conviction. What um, <clears throat> what amount of um, pushback are you willing to take? I mean, like you know, we talked earlier about how how most women will generally comply if you're a high enough value guy and they see you as your best option. I mean, that's, you know, we've talked about hypergamy for ages, you know, beating it like a dead horse, but it's like essentially women want to look up at a guy. They want to be with a giant. They want to be with somebody that they respect. They want to like, they look into your future and they basically say, you know, think themselves, you know, okay, this is a guy that's, that's got, you know, they start ticking off all the boxes sort of stuff. And then they start to behave, you know, if you will. Right. Um, right. What's your level of tolerance for um, pushback and um, drama, you know, when it comes to women today? Comply or goodbye. That's it. It's super simple. Yeah. That's it, man. I, I don't have to because I can't even answer all the messages in my inbox anyway. You just use like the standard line, like, you know, I don't date women that insert, you know, negative behavior. I'll, I, you know, I'll do it conversationally. I'm not a complete jackass about it. That's another thing I think guys get wrong. Mm-hmm. They think that they, they're going to come through and, and, jump off the top rope, if you will. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Jump like, off the top rope with the arm bar coming for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, you're not the fucking rock. Okay, yeah. so calm down. No, so it's very subtle. It's like, 
Yeah, you know, I'll bring it up in conversation. It's like, you know, if I get serious about a chick, you know, I don't I don't do guy friends. You know, and I'll give them the whole Lamborghini and the hood thing or mm-hmm. or whatever. It, and, and I'll and I'll, you know, I'll tell them or if they do something like like, you know, go on a boat or something. Hey, listen, no disrespect. I thought we were more serious than that. Or, you know, or I thought you took us more serious than that. That You know, I I can't take you seriously if if we're going to have sex and you're going to go on the boat two days later in Miami. Yeah. Uh, I don't I'm not trying to tell you what to do. You do what you want with your life. I'm just letting you know that I don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's very, it's very, um, it's very much less what you think it would be. I got a lot of uh, Justin. Oh, you're just controlling. You're insecure. Like, how do you deal with those lyrics? No, I d- I don't get a whole lot of that. But if if a woman ever called me insecure, I said, no, I'm not secure. I'm territorial. And if a man doesn't love you enough to want to be territorial around you and about you, then does he really love you? Does he? It's hard to it's hard to argue with that. I'm pretty sure I've heard Andrew say that before. Yeah, I'm sure he has. Yeah. I'm sure he has. Um, he, he's he also says the the Lamborghini thing, you yeah, know, about you know leaving the car parked in the hood. Yeah, yeah, I trust you, but why would I park my car there? And I, I like to add to that. It, and what I say is, you know, the whole thing is, you know, I trust the locks on my Lamborghini, but I don't I don't park it in the ghetto. And then I ask, do you use the Lamborghini example when you're dealing with the girls from? Louisiana or to use like a F-150? Yeah, I'll probably say my truck. My truck. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but what I say to them is, so why would you park it there? Yeah. Because I always want to put it kind of put it back to her. Yeah. You know, um, they inherently know that you're right. You know, they just want to see if if you've got the capacity yeah. to keep them in their place. Right. It's a test. One of the strongest it's things. Yeah that I think a woman can know is that you can replace her. Yeah. I've always said like, she has to know that, that she's replaceable. You don't need to walk around and, and, and tell her like, bitch, you know, you're replaceable. It's just, she has yeah. to know that she is replaceable. Um, yeah. I got a super chat here from uh, not your side checks says Jack Donovan said, aggressive men are the check on society. Is it fair to say weak men are the check that degrades it? Um, I'd say, yeah, man, there's a, there's a general pussification of the West, you know, the Western male, Western society, a lot of the soy stuff going around. I don't know. Like, what do you think, Justin? They're destroying everything. They're absolutely destroying everything. Like if we, if we look at everything that's going on in society right now, even down to COVID, weak men are destroying everything because if men didn't want this shit to happen, it would not be happening. Any of it. Justin Trudeau is a prime example of that. Shout out to all the truckers in Canada that are that are doing this convoy up to Ottawa. But this pussy now is like basically saying that, you know, he's 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 been exposed and now he wants to go into hiding because all these truckers and all these truckers, you know, they're all alpha males. You know, these are all guys that are like big, strong dudes that that haul ass, you know, and move uh, move commerce for us. Um, yeah, like these beta males are are big ass problem, you know, when it comes to, you know, situations like this, because they want to, they want to rein in the fear, man, you know, they want to scare you. And it's like the plugged in women, the plugged in dudes, they love it. You know, they eat that shit up. It's like, it's like a big steak dinner, you know, for guys like us. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I joke and I say that, let them stay weak. I'll, I'll try, you know, I'll go through as many of them as I can, but it's kind of not true. It's easier for you. Yeah, it does make it easier for me in regards to getting women. But the problem is I don't have enough time to sleep with them all. And so then it starts to get into politics and business. And we mm-hmm. do with shit like we're dealing with now. And it, I kind of feel like we're going towards socialism in America just because there's a bunch of weak guys. You know, um, it, it 
I uh, I did something with Rolo recently, and what I said was, I feel like our government is trying to put. Obviously, they want to put a gap between whites and blacks mm-hmm. in, in party lines. Yeah. But I feel like they're trying to do the same thing between men and women because they've realized with the technology they can get women to do a lot of these jobs. So now they can they can churn tax money out of out of both sides. So the best way to do that is put a wedge in between them. If I was going to invest big money in, in a stock and I'm not, you know, I do my my stuff with Edward Jones. But if I was going to throw all in something, I'd probably do box wine and cat food, man, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's fucking horrible. Yeah, the you know? economy is, uh, you know, it was a big one. I was at a I was at a retreat over the weekend. And one of the guys was I mean, I can't get into specific details, but he's basically able to code really well. And we were talking about business opportunities that would placate to the simp economy. And it's, there's, there's a lot of opportunities out there right now, like to the point of, of these weak men and how they're trying to drive a a wedge between men and women. I mean, they've been very successful at it. In fact, I've, I would, I would clearly say state that, that they've achieved the, the desired outcome where men in North America are generally no longer accepted as the head of the household and women Women would rather comply with big daddy state, wear a mask, take your jabs, you know, do this, you know, to get your uh, social payments, to get your uh, mother's allowance, you know, all that sort of stuff. They would they would rather comply with the government than comply with the frame of a strong, masculine, virtuous man. A lot of women, a lot of women. You know, I would say that they think they would rather. Yeah. Until they discover what it what it's actually like. But right. but by the time they get to that point, they've got like three kids, with three different invested. dudes and are like 50 pounds overweight and got short purple hair and no, no Chad wants anything to do with them. Right. Their, their whole, their whole, their whole identity is tied around it. Yeah. And I think that, I think that women are massively, massively unhappy. They are. I think it's, sure I think it's against everything that's natural for women to do the way that they're currently acting. And some of these girls you can save, but by the time they get past fuck what 23 24 it's hard to turn that ship man and why even do it if you can get a younger one so it's it's hard and even if you turn that girl you now have to turn her family and so her you friends. have to turn the girl so much that and i've done this actually um i've done it uh with my with my main girl you know they came after her on thanksgiving about my youtube channel and some of the things that i've said and she told me family to came after her yeah yeah okay. came after her but you know what? Over like anything specific that you can talk about? I, I don't remember. They were just watching the videos and like, what do you think about this? And then, you know, he, he, you're not on his Instagram, but blah, 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 you know, mm. all these things. And dude, she told him to fuck off, you know? And, and her mom actually t- took, took up for me as well because look, I don't hide who I am. Everybody is very open. It's, it's very known what I do. It's very known what I do when I'm hanging out with the Tates or we're doing business. I'm all over the place all the time. There's who no line. You? Can you can you can you be specific to people that don't know who you are if they haven't followed you? Yeah, sure. So I have a YouTube. I talk I talk about these things all the time. There's always women around me. I'm I'm non-apologetic about it. I tell the truth. Um, there's no lies going on. There's no bullshit. There's hey, I'm gonna be this, and you can either come with me and you can have this kind of life, or you can not. And and I'm gonna be loving to you. I'm going to care about you, but I'm not going to sit here and lie about I'm not doing anything that any other man would not do if he could. And she can respect that. And, you know, one thing that um, that I told her once 
she she had a fiance for six years and she was telling me about I left him because he cheated. And I said, mm -hmm. no, you didn't. You left him because he was too much of a coward to tell the truth. And he lied to you like a bitch. And it was a big turning point in, in the relationship between her and I. And she knows exactly what I do all the time. And I might not throw it in her face. I don't I don't put it on social media, but she knows who I am. She knows that there's women around me all the time. And she texts me good night every night, you know, sends me a picture of her laying in bed, you know, no makeup on every night, like fucking clockwork. Mm -hmm. And I have no issues out of her. And I mean, my name is tattooed on her hip. It's a tape move, I guess. But I mean, it's it's all it's all there, man. And and she will openly say I've never been happier in my life. Because her whole agenda is is working, you know, around making my life better and building building everything that I'm trying to do. And I think most yeah. women would be most happy in that place, whether they know it or not. And most women don't even know what they want. What's she it didn't. like? What's it like living with um, Sterling? You know, what's it like having a porn star as a roommate? Amazing. <laughs> Sterling <laughs> Talk about why, man. You know, you got some stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's like having a brother. The happiest time of my life is when I was playing college football. Mm. And so when I try to back into it, I'm like, what was it? Well, I was lifting weights. I was chasing girls all day and I didn't have to worry about money. So now I live with Sterling and we're running through Cubans and we're, we'll double date or we'll, we'll wrangle. I know Tristan talks about wrangling. So we'll, we'll invite six girls to the same place and get caught. Get the fuck. They can leave. But you know, what's funny about that. They don't leave. Um, so it's, Hey, you going to boxing today? Oh, cool. You're a bitch, you know? And then we turn up and go or like, Hey, are you working? So if he's sitting at the, at the, at the desk, they're working in the kitchen. I have to, if I don't, I'm a punk. And so most of my happiness comes from when I feel like I'm getting better. Obviously I grew a steel company, not an internet based business. So I learn a lot from Sterling and he's absolutely a wonderful human being. I love him. I love him to death, man. I'm very lucky to have him. He, he feels the same way about me. He probably wouldn't say it out loud. And if he did, he'd have to call me a name, but it's, it's incredible. I, I do believe it's the happiest way to live as a man because, you know, the women, they come and they go. But like we said before, man, there's no such thing as female pallbearers. Never seen one. So um, uh, I feel very grateful to have Sterling in my life. It brings a true joy to have that brotherhood. And I get the same thing when I'm hanging out with Andrew and Tristan in uh, Satorio here. I'm in his house right now. And and it's just we are non-apologetically living our lives. And the closer we get, the more we seem to win. And make money together. So, how did you come across uh, Sterling, by the way? Like, how did you guys meet? Sterling and I met in Las Vegas at a war room event. I was there with Tristan and a couple of girls, and Sterling popped up and he was going to meet Andrew. And so he bumped into me by coincidence. And then he had to drive from LA to Miami. I guess he had had it out with some people in the porn industry in LA. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, man, stop in Baton Rouge on the way through. And he did. We smoked cigars, played some chess, sat out by the pool for a while, talked. And then I came to Miami for a, a I think it was a crypto conference and then maybe a war room event. And he needed uh, some help setting up his YouTube with that maroon background. Mm -hmm. So I built that with him um, for a day or two. We got that done and he had an extra bedroom. I'm like, I'm coming. He's like, turn up. And we've been basically hip and hip ever since, man. 
you know, it was one of those things. I always say fuck time and fuck blood. And what I mean by that is I don't care how long I've known an individual and I don't care if they're family or not. If our souls align and we're on the kind of the same path and the, and the wavelengths are right, then then it's right. And Sterling and I definitely have that. And um, it it makes me more bulletproof. Nothing can really get to me because I know I have Sterling, if that makes sense. So let's say the girl fell for the family thing. And and I was having to deal with that. Well, I would have Sterling there to keep me right. And we would, you know, we'd say, OK, well, cool. Let's just go get some girls going on a date. She can fuck off. You know, it, it's very powerful having that relationship with with a group of another guy or a group of guys where, you know, that number one, uh, he's always going to be there and keep you on the right path and keep your head straight and keep you doing the things you're supposed to do, like training and making money and being the best version of yourself. And um, and then also the, we have what I would say is world class loyalty. If I have a girl that messaged me on Instagram, I don't care how many followers she has. I don't care how hot she is. If I click on her profile and it says followed by Sterling Cooper, I'll send a I'll send a snap to the group message and we offer like I'll never talk to her again. In fact, had that situation with Andrew the other day, because most of the time when we all go to the same city, we'll all match the same girls. And there was this girl. She's legit 10. And I showed I showed Tristan and he said, man, I'm pretty sure that Andrew got with that girl in Poland. So I sent a screenshot. She had something stupid, blue check, the whole thing. And Andrew said, yeah, she yeah, I did. And she's a bitch. I'm like, cool, I got her. And I said things to her that I promise no man's ever said to her. There's just something about having a loyalty between brothers that um, is very real. And it can, and you really have each other's back in a way that it's impenetrable. What yeah, I, I agree. Was- like, I think that society tells guys to abandon that tribal nature, you know, grow to, up. Yeah. Grow up and, you know, just wife her up. You know, you should really overly invest in this one woman sort of thing. And, yeah. In a risky way in North America, which usually ties into marriage or some shit like that. But yeah, they don't tell you to form a, a brotherhood or a tribe of men that are going to yeah. hold you accountable, right? Real important. Um, I think that's some missing link for most men. Damon Platt's talking about brotherhood. We got uh, another one here. How did you guys build unbreakable discipline? I'm behind in my coding boot camp and want to catch up so I can finish and get a job, but I'm addicted to watching Rip Hill content and prawn. Okay. And he's got an avatar there of Jeff Bezos and his jacked uh, photograph. All right. So what's your word on unbreakable discipline? Because this guy's addicted to porn and watching red pill content. I think discipline is not the way people think it is. I I think that discipline is something that you just go back to and go back to and go back to. It's kind of like that line where if this is the standard, you're going to kind of get away from it, get away from it, get away from it. But you just got to look yourself in the mirror. That voice inside of your head needs to be very, very, very brutal with you. You, if you, if you're not getting angry inside, you're in trouble because you're. Pat, you, I made a video that talks about you have two voices in your head. You have a child voice and you have a grown ass man voice. And if this child voice gets gets so loud and 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 I want to do what I want to do, I want to watch porn or I want to watch red pill content, and you can't hear this voice anymore. And this voice can't rage and shut this other voice up. You're in deep, deep shit. So to me, you really have to look deeply inside and say, where is that voice that, that looks myself in the mirror and gets really, really fucking angry and call and, and calls your really calls yourself names 
names that would be toxic if somebody else said it to you. I mean, you have to get absolutely brutal with yourself. And if you can't do that, you're in, you're in trouble. I think there's, um, I mean, he didn't explicitly state it here in the super chat, but you know, he said watching red pill content, you know, it gets addicted to it. What I found is guys have become addicted to drama, red pill drama, who's fighting with who on the internet. Um, somebody said this about somebody, somebody's, you know, program is better than the other one or they ripped it off or this person, whatever. It's just, or even, you know, to the point of what I see in a lot of these podcasts now, and, you know, I tip my hat to Myron, like, like Myron was one of my very early, um, coaching clients, like, you know, before he blew up with the fresh and fit uh, podcast, but it's a lot of red meat, you know, it's a lot of, let's put some drunk ratchet fives in a room that think that they're tens and um like guys get off on the red meat right um just stop watching it man it's like don't watch jerry springer for men basically right like if you find that yeah like if you find it's just fighting and drama and you know like it's like rooting for a sports team and you know i hate to say it because sports is a big you know part of everybody's life but i i can't sit around even watching sports i find it boring man watching other people chase excellence I'd rather do it myself, right? And I'm not going to be great at a lot of the stuff that I might go out and do because I'm older and, you know, my body's starting to obviously fall apart. I mean, my ass ain't 23 anymore. But, um, yeah, like I just can't sit around and watch other people chase excellence. And if you think about it that way and you realize, again, there's a limited 24 hours in a day. And if you're wasting an hour or two hours or whatever consuming stuff that doesn't serve you, stop. You know, again, the first step in unplugging is becoming aware of your own bullshit. The second step is becoming aware of everybody else's. You can't be red pill aware if you're not able to check yourself first. Yeah, I agree with that, man. Yeah, and those dudes, they do. They get caught up and they're watching three and four hour podcast. And and I'm I'm another person that I deeply respect Myron. But what those guys are missing about Myron is he's turning up every fucking day, rounding those girls up, getting on that podcast for hours, he's doing the work right in front of their face and all they're focusing on is the drama at hand. And he's smart for doing it because it keeps people coming back. It keeps those super chats coming in, you know? And, you know, there was times where I was a kid. I remember I would watch a movie. Let's say it was a karate movie or something. I would watch the movie and then I would go do karate in my room. Or I'd watch a a football movie and I'd go, I'd want to go play, you know, football in the yard. So if you're going to watch these YouTube videos about red pill or about business. Don't forget the part where you go do it right after where you're inspired by it. If you're going to use it, use it as fuel, not to, not to masturbate with, because that's, that's super, super dangerous. And and next thing you know, you're just, you're going to have a life full of watching guys like Coop or me or Myron or whoever live an incredible life because we got up and went and did things every day. This is really secondary in my life, to be quite honest, what I'm doing on the internet. I'm actually working every day. Do not, do not miss the, do the, do the work part. That's simple as that. You know, you, you don't need to be held accountable in an accountability group. You don't need somebody. I mean, some people need somebody to just yell at them and call them fat or lazy or whatever. Okay, fine. You know, if that works for you, you know, you can yell at yourself in the mirror. It's one way to do it, but just, just check yourself, man. You know, it's doing the work. is just as simple as that. Stop fucking around, wasting time, doing things that are not productive, consuming rather than consume, create, you know, make something. Um, 
All right. Well, let's, uh, I think that was an awesome point to wrap this up on, dude. Like, I know you got stuff to do. I got a super book day too. So I want to like, thank you, man. Like, you know, from the bottom of my heart for hopping on on this one and sharing some nuggets of wisdom with everybody. Um, what do you want to shout out to, you know, before we wrap up, you want to send people over to YouTube? Is there something else that you want them to do? Yeah. So you can find me on YouTube, Jay Waller seven. And then on Instagram also actually Jay Waller on YouTube and Instagram, Jay Waller seven. There you go. So go check yeah. out Justin. Um, he's got some good content on his channel. Nice and tight. It's not long form or anything like that. It's going to eat up too much of your time. Appreciate you, man. And, um, you know, I hope to meet you face to face one day. You, you know, you seem like a good dude. Looking forward to it. All right, brother.